Hello, listeners, and welcome to another episode of this freaky show. I am your host, Travesty, and alongside me, as always, the Freak Joe. Yeah, see, I kind of screwed you up there, didn't I? <laughs> Just a little bit, because I was not prepared. <laughs> but I thought it was great. I really appreciated sure. your commitment to the bit. Right? Well, here's the thing. I, I, For the life of me, I can't remember what I said. To make you just say, and the freak show. Did I just say, I am your host, Travesty? Is that it? Mm-hmm. Okay. Well, noted for next year. Yep. Um, or okay. next episode. No, we do got one more episode after this. Never mind. Yeah. Uh, yeah, space. <clears throat> Which is stupid of me to think, like, we got one more episode, but it's probably, like, going to be my favorite episode because we're bringing back uh, the host of Babes of Lore podcast. Right. Yeah, if you guys uh, <coughs> if you guys don't remember, you know you can tune in uh, on Halloween because that episode will be released Halloween morning, uh, where we get to talk with Babe Delore, and uh, you guys can catch their. Uh, they've actually been on our show twice before. Uh, it was uh, last year during this freaky show it was their first time coming on, and then earlier this year, and I can't remember which episode that was, but it was earlier this year, sometime in the spring, I think. Um, so uh. They, uh, they're, they're longtime friends of our show. Um, I, I, I know Morgan outside of podcasting and everything through the wrestling business and Lindsay, her cousin, uh, they created a podcast. It's phenomenal. We'll talk a lot about it, uh, next week. And I'm, I can guarantee you that, uh, Lindsay and I are going to bicker at least about something, uh, probably John Winchester related, uh, because, that's uh that's a uh that's that's something that we don't agree on. But you catch all of that uh on our final this freaky show, which will be released on on October uh thirty first. Nice. Uh speaking of finals, uh this past Thursday was the last cemetery vlog of uh twenty twenty three. Uh, we got that, uh, we got all 10 of them finally released. There will be a bonus, uh, sh- uh, video or bonus, uh, episode <coughs> of, uh, some, uh, additional content we shot while we were up in Wisconsin, uh, that will also be released on YouTube on, uh, Halloween. So make sure you check that out as well. Uh, Joe, I, 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 I mean, I did the editing of all the episodes and everything, and I gotta tell you, <coughs> For as much of a headache as uh, the new uh, format that we did, I love it. Um, where uh, you you record your stuff, I record my stuff, uh, and then also the uh, the picture and picture of uh, the drive through, the bigger ones while you filmed. Uh, a little bit of a headache to edit those, but I'm so glad that we did it that way because I I love how they turned out. Yeah, they turned out fantastic. Yeah. Um, if you guys haven't had a chance, make sure you go over to our YouTube channel, FreakNet Studios. Uh, they're all under a playlist called Freaky Cemetery 2023. Make sure you check those out. And like I said, uh, me and me and Joe uh, traveled through Wisconsin uh, to film the, the uh, creepiest uh, cemeteries of uh, Wisconsin, or the most haunted cemeteries of Wisconsin. Uh, but we also did Indiana last year, and we did Illinois back in 2020, and all those videos are available on our YouTube channel. Just go over there, please subscribe, hit the notification bell, and uh, let us know uh, your 
your stories, if related to any of those cemeteries you've been to. We'd love to hear about those and everything. And uh, we're we're pretty good on uh, responding back to people. I think uh, we've responded to every comment that's been made, except for one. But that was more of a troll, and uh, that that wasn't worth commenting on. So mm, yeah, um, but. I do love it, and one of the coolest things about doing vlogs like that is uh, pulling the history of those cemeteries, <clears throat> finding out uh, you know when they were started and why some of the lore, if you will, of the hauntings actually occur. Uh, it's probably one of my coolest things, and obviously, uh, Joe, because of how you can articulate things so well, just hearing you talk about that stuff is fantastic in those videos, <clears throat> which gave me uh, an idea. And uh, I think the because we 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 talked about many topics over the course of the past month. We talked about candy, movies, costumes, and such. Um. And, uh, oh, and then, uh, what, what fast food places are releasing, uh, the best of the pumpkin stuff? So I think our final topic, because next week we're just going to do a straight up interview with, uh, Babes of Lore. So there won't be really a topic other than them. So I think the final topic I want to talk about is kind of like some of the history of some of the stuff that surrounds Halloween. Nice. All right. And, uh, That's fun. One, one of the cool things that I, I want to, well, before we start with any of that, I want to remind all of you all that this episode is brought to you by CarterComics.com. It's your one-stop shop for all your comic needs, whether it be graded or raw. Carter Comics has them all. All you got to do is go to cartercomics.com, check out their amazing store, fill your card up with all their awesome comics. And when you go to checkout, the discount code FREAKNET, F-R-E-A-K-N-E-T, will save you 10% on your entire purchase. Not just at their website, but they have four different eBay accounts, and the links to those can be found on their homepage at cartercomics.com. If you buy from them, the discount code works there as well. I know people like were wondering like well, what if I find something here but I also find something here now I got to buy these things separately and all that. CarterComics.com is a mom and pop uh, shop. It's a small town. It's a it's a it's a family owned business if you will. Uh, so that means you can reach out to them and talk with them personally. And if you find things in different places, if you reach out to them and talk to them, they'll be able to bundle everything together into one price. Our discount code will save you 10% on that final price as well, and they can ship everything to you in one go. Rather than buying, like, two comics from this uh, eBay account or two two from here or from their website, you know, yada, yada, yada. So you can always reach out to them through their Facebook at cartercomics.com or through their uh, uh, website. So, uh, again, CarterComics.com, proud sponsor of our podcast, part of uh, a proud sponsor of Freaknet Studios as a whole. And without them, we wouldn't be able to do awesome cemetery vlogs like we were able to do. So, That's great. <clears throat> All right. Uh, one of the, the first thing I want to talk about as far as uh, spooky lore and stuff is I actually saw this thing on TikTok. And... Uh, uh, you know, I'm gonna I'm gonna actually play this. Um, I'm actually gonna play the video um, about it, and I'm not gonna tell you what it's talking about because it will explain it at the end. But I want to know if you've heard about this uh, this uh, story, okay? All right. Yeah. 
There's a legend from 19th century Ireland about a man known as Stingy Jack. According to the story, Stingy Jack invited the devil to have a drink with him. But true to his name, Stingy Jack didn't want to pay for his drink. So he convinced the devil to turn himself into a coin that he could use to buy their drinks. But once the devil did so, Jack decided to pocket the money instead, putting the coin into his pocket next to his silver cross, which prevented the devil from returning to his original form. Eventually, Jack freed the devil under the condition that he would not bother Jack for another year, and that... Should Jack die, he would not claim his soul. The next year, Jack tricked the devil into climbing a tree to pick a piece of fruit. While he was up in the tree, Jack carved the sign of the cross into the tree's bark so that the devil could not climb back down. Once again, Jack made a bargain with the devil that he would help the devil escape the tree if the devil left him alone for ten more years. But so the legend goes, soon after, Jack passed away. But God wouldn't let such an unsavory figure as stingy Jack into heaven. And the devil was still so furious at Jack that he decided the best punishment was to keep his word and not claim Jack's soul. Instead, he sent Jack off into the dark night with only a burning coal to light his way. Jack put the coal inside a carved turnip and has been roaming the earth ever since. The Irish began to refer to him as Jack of the Lantern, or more simply, Jack-o'-lantern. Ever since, people have carved scary faces into pumpkins and placed them next to windows or doors to scare stingy Jack away every Halloween. There's a lot... Hmm. You ever hear about that? No, I never had. I, I know, I know there's like a legend of like jack-o'-lanterns and stuff, but it's I, for some reason I remember it being different. Yeah, I knew that jack-o'-lanterns were like put out to like scare away evil spirits or whatever. Um, but I hadn't heard of that, that part of it. Yeah. Yeah, it was weird. Okay, so <laughs> I I was googling uh, history of jack o' lantern, and actually it kind of came up with the uh, same story. Uh, a jack o' lantern is a carved lantern, most commonly made from a pumpkin or a root vegetable, such as a rutabaga or a turnip. Yep. I have never made a jack o' lantern out of anything other than a pumpkin. But this yeah, case, it's more of a, a like an Irish and English thing, I believe. Yeah, uh, jack o' lanterns are associated with Halloween holidays. Its name comes from the reported pheno- phenomenon of strange lights flickering over peat bogs called Will-o'-the-Wisp or Jack-o'-lanterns. The name is also tied to an Irish legend of Stingy Jack, a drunkard who bargained with Satan and is doomed to roam the earth with only a hollow turnip to light his way. That's I, You know, like, it's weird because like, I, I thought I remember, holy shit, a plaster cast of a traditional Irish Jack-o'-lantern in the Museum of Country Life, Ireland. That is a horrifying. Yeah, uh, the turnips uh, are terrifying. Yeah, I mean, good, I mean, good for them, but it, it looks like a mummified head. Mm-hmm. Um, I just, you know, it's weird because, like, you know, like when when you grow up and you kind of learn about, like, you know, the folklore of like Halloween, and I, I think, you know, growing up we learned about like the Day of the Dead, sure, um, and stuff like that. Yeah, uh, right along with like All Souls Day or All Saints Day. Yes. Or All Souls Day, depending on what tradition. Yeah, yeah, you just, I, I've never once ever heard anyone talk about, like, the legend of jack-o'-lanterns and, like, mm-hmm. why they came to be. Um, it, It's weird because, uh, I mean, we've talked about it, but my favorite Halloween movie is The Halloween Tree. Um, That I own on DVD, and more than likely, now that I brought it up, I'm probably going to watch it when we're done recording. Uh, the the whole premise of it is that the the jack o' lanterns that are hanging from the Halloween tree are the souls of people. Oh, nice. Um, That's right. I've never seen the Halloween tree. You always tell me about it every yeah. year. And I'm always surprised. 
I, I, I would strongly encourage you to find a way to watch it because it's, it's a fantastic movie and it talks about the history of Halloween. And now I, I want to go back because I don't recall if they ever talk about turnips and rutabagas as alternatives to jack-o'-lanterns and stuff like that or if they even mention that it's like part of Irish history. I know they, uh, I know they talk about Mexico and the Day of the Dead. I know that part of it. And I know they talk about, uh, Egyptian times because one of the, uh, one of the children in the movie, uh, it's a cartoon. It's a cartoon movie. So anime movie, uh, is dressed as, <coughs> is dressed as a, um, a mummy. And they'd go back and talk about the history of Halloween in Egypt. Uh, one woman or one girl is dressed like a witch. And they go back and they talk about the history of witches and stuff, which, I mean, a lot of us know that, uh, we, I don't know if we know it or not, but a lot of the witch stuff came about because of paranoia, it seems like. Right, yeah. Um, actually, I, honestly, I don't really know what first came up. First off, you know, we've said them numerous times, well, you said it because you're intelligent, is that, uh, word, like all words are made of words. That's right. Um, so I'm not sure where the word witch comes from. Uh, yeah. but I'm not sure who dis- who decided that this word means like mythical being and shit like that. Um, but I mean, we we know about the Salem witch trials and they happened in Massachusetts, not Oregon. Um, right. and that 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 the uh, the rituals or the tests they had to prove they weren't a witch were absolutely absurd. Like, if we throw this woman off a cliff and she flies away, she's a witch. But if she's not a witch, she's just going to die. Or, like, if you, like, you set her on fire, if she's a witch, she's not going to burn. But if she does burn, well, then she's real. Right. And it's just like... Yeah, what a, what a, what a, uh, what a way to test. Yeah, right? It's like, it's like, it's like somebody, um... Oh, geez, what was it? I was watching, uh, I, well, I talked about it, I think, a couple weeks ago. Um, that, uh, TV show, Winona Earp. Yeah. Uh, one of the episodes, uh, she got drugged by some dude and, like, lost feeling in her, like, legs and shit. And while the guy was away, uh, she started getting feeling back in her legs and all stuff. And when the doctor came back, he asked her how she was doing. She said, you know, she felt fine and he wasn't quite sure if she was telling the truth or not. So he took like this, this pair of pliers pretty much and just started squeezing her big toe to see if like she could feel or not. And I mean, she toughed it out. She didn't move, but I'm just like, I'm like, you're literally screwing her, her foot up to prove that she's telling the truth. As for right. like that's that's the easiest comparison I can make to the witch clouds. It's like I'm sorry, if they are human and innocent, they're going to die. Yep. Like, I just never. Their innocent soul will go to heaven. Yeah, that's. But then, of course, if they're if they're not innocent, they'll survive. And then what? Then what do you do if you've if you tried to burn someone to death and they survive, because uh, they have magic or the power of Satan. Um, what are you supposed to do then? Because uh, what what would stop them from taking vengeance on you and the whole village? You know, that, that's I always wonder then. You know, I was like, I'm sorry, like if somebody ended up being a witch, like for example, if you caught somebody and claimed for them to be a witch, and you launched them off an edge of a cliff, yeah, and 
if they're guilty, you just set them free. Right. Because they're just now flying away. Yeah. It's like, I'm, I'm assuming there's not some rope you have attached to them that, you know, you can pull them back in. Like, you literally just set them free at that point. Right. But you're right, yeah. If you set somebody on fire and they don't burn, what, what's your next move here? Yeah, I have no idea. I, I really genuinely, uh, yeah. There was that, a, I saw, I saw a clip from a Simpsons episode recently where they, uh, it, it was like, um, uh, I think it was, uh, uh, what do they call it? Treehouse of Horror? Yeah, yeah. So a yeah. non-canon. Uh, but they did like the Salem Witch Trials thing or like the Crucible or whatever. And they take Marge and they throw her up her cliff. And she comes back dressed as a witch on a broom and just starts throwing fireballs at the crowd. <laughs> I've seen that. Yeah, <laughs> it's just yeah, like, yeah. yeah, that's a really, how did I never think of that before? I'll see you. Let's see. Uh, what's your what's your defense against someone who can't die? I don't know. Yeah. It's weird. It, it was an insane concept that surprisingly, apparently, I wasn't there, uh, exists. Right. Or like I think I think they had one like what? Like like uh they they rolled a boulder on top of somebody and if yeah. they if they were crushed to death, they were human. Right. I just I I don't I do not understand it. Yeah, fifty thousand people from fourteen hundred to seventeen seventy five executed. Does it say where? Is that is that just that's, that's, that's worldwide? Oh, worldwide. Okay, I wonder. I wonder where the most was because I because that shit sounds like like England, like most. Like I don't think like Asia had like witch like trials and stuff, or you know, like that doesn't sound much like a German thing. Maybe they German. did have some in England. Yeah, German. Uh, the, the death toll of Europe's witch trials, according to this chart I just found. Mm-hmm. Uh, Germany had um, 6,887 were tried and executed. Gotcha. Jesus. Yeah, that's I'm insane. reading this right. Um, let's see here. So I, I got this website because I, I do want to talk a little about, like, so it's, uh, let's see here, what is it called? The Origins of Halloween Traditions. Uh, carving pumpkins, trick-or-treating, and wearing scary costumes are some of the time-honored traditions of Halloween. Yet the Halloween holiday has its roots in the ancient Celtic festival of Samhain. Uh, Samhain. Samhain. Yep. Um, I think we talked about this. I do remember you talking about this. <laughs> A pagan religious celebration to welcome the harvest at the end of the summer when people would light bonfires and wear costumes to ward off ghosts in the 8th, 8th century. Pope Gregory III designated November 1st as a time of honor saints. Soon after, All Saints Day became to incorporate some of the traditions of Sawin. Sawin, which is weird. Why is it pronounced Sawin when it's Samhain? Yeah, it's um, Gaelic vowels, words, consonants, whatever you want to call them. It's like uh, there's a... Uh, uh, I'm trying to think of a good name from Ireland now, like Neve. It's spelled N-I-M-H. Hmm. Yeah, it's just well, weird. Uh, seven billion people in this world. I'm assuming that somewhere out there, there's a Samuel Hain out there that uh, if I ever meet him, I'm going to call him Sawin. He'll like that, I think. He'll have <laughs> never heard it before in his life. <laughs> <laughs> the evening before All Saints Day was known as All Hallows' Eve. And later, Halloween, I believe I heard that. First time I heard that was in Hocus Pocus, I think. Yep. 
here's a look at the origins of some of the classic Halloween traditions. Uh, we did the uh, Jack Lantern. We talked, you know, I played the TikTok on that. Stingy Jack uh, bartered with the devil. Uh, seeing Ghost uh, Festival of Samhain marked the tradition of the new year at the end of the harvest and beginning of winter. Celtic people would Celtic people believed that during the festival, spirits walked the earth. Later on, Christian missionaries in, introduced All Souls Day on November 2nd, which perpetuated the idea of the living coming into contact with the dead and around the uh, same time of the year. Nice. Which I'm I'm trying to remember, like, because the, the, the Day of the Dead is the festival of Mexico where people will, like, set up dinners and meals and stuff in the graveyard to eat with their dead. Yeah. Eat with the... Uh, is it supposed to be the idea of? <laughs> you might know this better than me, and who knows? It might be in this uh, this uh, website, but like, are they supposed to have the belief that uh, their past family would come back to join them, or is it just there to eat the meal together? Yeah, I think both. Okay. Personally, um, I'm not a huge expert on it, but I I was recently reading that um, a lot of cultures. Actually, like pre, pre a lot of pre-modern cultures didn't have as strong a feeling about like the past is the past and the future is the future and the present is separate from both of those. Mm. Um, I guess they they felt like time was a lot more continuous uh, than we tend to think of it. And so they they on the one hand really believed that their relatives were around and were present. Um, but also, I feel like when the food doesn't get eaten surely logically you have to be like oh well they just ate it like like spiritually or something yeah. you know like i don't know i don't know how you rationalize or um and maybe it's not rational i don't know how you whatever the word is for it um make it real to yourself that the food it has been eaten even though it's still sitting there on the plate mm-hmm. um but i do think it's important to get together and i you know that part's still true so yeah. I, I don't know it and so follow up question. Again, your opinion. Um, yeah. We we've traveled to a couple dozen cemeteries uh, doing these vlogs. Uh, we know that. Let's say, is it logic? I don't. Know, how do I word this? We know that there are, there are people who are buried next to other people that aren't family members. Right. So it could get a little congested if that was happening, like at the yeah. cemeteries we go to, because yeah. it's not. Because I mean, we we've seen like family plots where people are like buried next to each other and like four or five you know people and stuff. But then you get like some of the cemeteries like one person is buried to another person who's buried to another person, completely unrelated. Now I don't know if these are picnics or if these are actually like setting up tables and chairs and stuff like that. But how the how, how it'd be like a it'd be like a, a packed restaurant in a way because I'm guessing right. you want to be eating right at the you know right at the gravesite, not like it's like it's not just good enough to be in the graveyard. You actually have to be at the gravesite. Right. Yeah. <clears throat> yeah. Oh, here we so. go. I I just I I googled as best I could to find an answer and um. So this is this is from a website called Quora, which is kind of like Yahoo Answers. Um, and I don't know. So they take it with a grain of salt. But this person says, um, so the question is, has anybody ever had ancestors come back and eat some of the food on the Dia de los Muertos ofrenda? 
Uh, I'm assuming the ofrenda is like the altar or whatever where you're putting the offerings for the, the dead. Um, and this person answers, you're not understanding what Dia de Muertos is about and how the majority of people in Mexico understand it. You're taking a very literal understanding of loved ones coming back that is inaccurate. People know that their loved ones are not going to come back in a form in which they will be able to physically eat the food on the ofrenda. The idea of the deceased loved ones returning is that they come back in our minds, our memories of them, and the love that we had for each other. They walk with us, we think about them, and we continue to love them. We don't think that they come back to eat the food at the ofrenda, but that preparing some of their favorite dishes reminds us of who that person was as a living being. Yeah, that so I like that. Lot, makes a lot more sense. So it's more like yeah. uh, they're they're embracing the memories of them, not the idea of them actually uh, forming in yeah. front of them and sitting down at the table. Right. So it's a lot like how uh, every once in a while I'll have a cup of coffee and instead of taking it black, I'll put a little bit of cream and two sugars in it. And it reminds me of like, uh, that's how, that's how grandpa Snedden liked his coffee. Um, okay. which I found out during hospice week when he was dying. So yeah. I, I'll, I'll have a cup of coffee and I'll, I'll cry a little bit cause I'll be like, Oh, this is how grandpa had it. Mm-hmm. But it's nice. It's a nice feeling to remember him and, and be like, Oh, this is how grandpa had his coffee. That's pretty cool. That, yeah, I didn't know that. That's awesome. Yeah, I mean, that that does make a lot more sense. And I know, like, it's – and I'm, I'm I'm assuming whoever asked that question wasn't, like, trying to be disrespectful in any way. But, uh, but you know, it's questions like that where you kind of learn more about it. So I'm glad whoever did ask that question asked it because, you know, it helped answer that question for myself because I was kind of – because in my mind, I, I, I find it, like, more – of the lines of they're doing it in hopes that they return in a physical sense, like an right. apparition sense and stuff. So yeah, that's same. Cool. That's what I was thinking I, too. I was like, how do you, how does mm-hmm. that work? Yeah. Like, like how many, like how many people do you expect? So how many chairs do you bring? Right. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, wear scary costumes. Uh, I think this one we kind of talked about uh, in order to avoid being terrorized by all the evil spirits and walking the earth during Samhain. The Celts don disguises so that they would not be mistaken for spirits themselves and be left alone. Uh, I think I learned that in uh, Halloween Town. Yeah, that feels right. Yeah. <laughs> uh, trick or treating. Uh, there's much debate around the origins of trick or treating, but generally there are three theories. The first theory suggests that during Samhain, Celtic people will leave food out to appease the spirits traveling the earth at night. Over time, people began to dress as these unearthly beings in exchange for similar offerings of food and drink. Second theory speculates that the candy boon stems from the Scottish practice of guising, which is a secular version of souling. During the Middle Ages, generally children and poor adults would collect food and money from local homes and return for prayers for the dead on All Souls Day. Geysers dropped the prayers in favor of non-religious practice, which the inclusion of songs, jokes, and other tricks. Third theory argues that modern American trick-or-treating stemmed from Bell's Nickling. Bell's Nickling? Bell's Nickling? Mm-hmm. No. I never heard of it. B-E-L-S-N-I-C-K-E-L-I-N-G. Hmm. Bell's Nickling? Yeah, sounds right. <laughs> a German American Christmas tradition. Uh, oh, you know what? I think Dwight mentioned that on The Office. Yeah, Bell you know what? I just googled it, and it, yeah, he's 
literally a picture of Dwight shows up. Yeah. Because <laughs> he asked us, like, have you been something or have you been, I, I, I can't remember. But yeah, Belschnickling. Okay. A German-American Christmas tradition where children would dress in costume and call on their neighbors to see if the adults could guess the identity of the disguise. In one version of the practice, the children were rewarded with food or other treats if no one could identify them. That's interesting. <clears throat> also, uh, yeah, uh, side note to anyone who is in their 70s, 80 years old, your costumes depict exactly what, like, monsters and horror movies today look like. Right? Because a lot of these are, like, they look like warped plastic masks that nobody should ever be wearing. <laughs> right. This is, God, this is fantastic. Oh, man, I wish I found this picture when we were doing the uh, Halloween costumes. But yeah, it's just it's not. And the thing is too is like when you when you see and look at them. Now I'm going to send you over the picture here in a minute so you can see it. The costumes aren't that far off than what we were talking about. We were wearing we're kids, skeletons and ghosts, pirates. Uh, I think that's a dog or something in the background. But the bottom right, I believe that's a sailor. Oh, it's definitely this uh, Donald Duck. Nice. Okay, interesting. Horrifying. I haven't even seen it, but I'm sure if it's an yeah. old Donald Duck costume, it's horrifying. Well, because because the way the picture is taken and the way the angle of the head is, unless you're really looking at it to see the bill of the face, you don't know it's Donald Duck. But once you look at the uh, the outfit, and I, I, I sent it in a text so you can see it. Um, once you see the outfit and kind of look at it and like from a different angle, you kind of say, okay, that's definitely Donald Duck. Uh, black cats, the idea of being spooked by black cats, date back to the Middle Ages when these dark felines were considered a symbol of the devil. It doesn't help that centuries later, accused witches were often found to have cats, particularly black ones. People began to believe that the cats were a witch's familiar or supernatural entities that would assist in their practices of dark magic. And black cats and spookiness have been linked ever since. Um, I, I, I've heard of both of those. I mean, obviously black cats with witches is very common. Uh, I think Hocus Pocus uh, educated me on that. Uh, but also the movie The Mummy with Brendan Fraser, where the mummy was afraid of cats because cats were like the protector of the underworld or something, something like that. Nice. Yeah, that makes sense. That feels like a very Egyptian idea. Uh, black and orange, additional colors. Did that, that come through? God- is that for a godmother? <laughs> it's just a button on my, uh, my roadcaster that, that plays sound effects. You know what? I, how can we never use the sound effects? We said we would, and we never did. Because I didn't know they actually worked. Oh. Almost every time I've ever used it, it hasn't come through. The sound the, the sound bar hasn't come through. Ooh, is there like a creepy sound on there somewhere? Uh, let me check. Yeah. Yeah, this is like... That's all I got. That's, that's the creepy one? That's the creepy one. Okay, make a note. Next year, that gets played before every freaky tale. All right, perfect. Because because that's fantastic. Yeah. <laughs> we are we're going to utilize that so much more. I don't know what sounds are on there, but we're going to venture through all of them in podcasting because that's fantastic. Um, that's horrifying. 
Black and orange. The traditional Halloween color, the black and orange, also traces back to the Celtic festival of Samhain. Uh, for the Celts, black represents death of summer, while the orange symbolizes the autumn harvest season. Which makes a lot of sense, you know, uh, leaf changes. Right. Uh, Bobby oh, for yeah. apple. Yeah. What? Uh, which, by the way, all the leaves are starting to fall now. God, I love this holiday. I love this season so much. I, uh, actually, right before we recorded today, I actually, uh, I like Cooper out and, uh, the neighbor, the, the, uh, the loud neighbor dog is gone for the summer, uh, the season. So I got the small yapping dogs left, which they're not too bad all the time. Uh, two of them actually just kind of sit and stare, but one of them still kind of barks. But I was able to sit on my deck and just pajama bottoms and, uh, in a brisk chilly air while drinking coffee and having a cigarette. And I got to tell you, it was wonderful. Nice. That is yeah. the best. I will. Yeah, I, I prefer a, a little bit of a chill than you know, you know, sitting there hot and shit. Oh, uh, Bobby Same. for apples. <laughs> uh, the game of Bobby for apples has been a staple in Halloween parties for many years, but its origins are more rooted in love and romance. The game traces back to a courting ritual that was part of a Roman festival honoring Pomona, the goddess of agriculture and abundance. While multiple versions exist, the gist was that young men and women would be able to predict their future relationships based on the game. When the Romans conquered the British Isles in 43 AD, the Pomona Festival blended with the similar-timed Samhain and and precursor to Halloween. My question, we're going to look into the apple thing a little bit more. Mm Mm-hmm. Uh, so you're lighting candles and bonfires, uh, no, candy apples. For centuries, people have been coating fruit and syrup and a means for preservation. But during the Roman festival of Pomona, the goddess was often represented by and associated with apples. Her name derives from the Latin word for apples, poma, and the fruit is at the heart of harvest celebrations. It is believed that the candy apples were invented accidentally in 1908 by William W. Kolb a candy maker in Newark, New Jersey. As the story goes, Cove was experimenting with red cinnamon candy to sell at Christmas time, and he dipped apples on sticks into the red glaze and put them in his shop window to to showcase his new candy. But instead of selling the candies, he ended up selling the apples to customers who thought they they looked good enough to eat. They became fashionable treats for Halloween starting in the early 1900s, and they remained popular until the 1970s. Uh, when's the last time you had a, uh, a candied apple? Like a properly candied apple or just an apple dipped in caramel like an Affy Tapple? Ooh, you know what? I got them mixed up, but yes, let's go with Affy Tapple. I had, I had one last year. Hmm. I love an Affy Tapple. Do you go, do you go straight up only caramel or do you do the one with the nuts on it? I prefer just the caramel, um, mm. but I like, I mean, I like them both. I just think the one with nuts on it is hard to eat off of the stick. I, I mean, they, they pack it on there so tight, it's hard to bite through. That I can agree with. For me, I uh, I prefer the peanut one just because when I do bite into it, my beard and stuff isn't going straight into the caramel. It's protected by the peanuts. Ah, smart. That, that's the only reason. Yeah. But and I also, mean, if you if you have like an apple cutter, uh, ooh, that, yeah. like one of the ones that just cuts it into eight slices, I yeah. do like the nuts better. 
Yeah, like the Apicora one. Oh, jeez, mm-hmm. hell's bells, brother. Um, let's see here. Uh, yeah, that's about the last one. The rest of them was just about, you know, again, like candy and stuff like that. Um, <clears throat> there's a bakery down by me I actually want to go into, and I think they do kind of like the, uh, because uh, the uh, covered apples have become so much more than what they used to be back in the day. Now they got like M&M covered ones, and I think uh, they have like uh, like crushed Oreo covered ones and stuff like that. Um, That's intriguing. Yeah, so I definitely want to. I definitely, I definitely want to get. I haven't had a candy apple in quite some time, and now I'm craving one. Mm-hmm. Now's the time. Now's yeah. the time to crave it. Is there any? Uh, is there any? Uh, historical Halloween stories that we haven't discussed that, uh, is your favorite do you want to share or? Um, honestly, not really. I just, I really love the holiday, but I don't usually think about the history of it, to be honest with you. Mm-hmm. I, uh, I just like, I just like candy and, and the joy of, of sharing nice things with people, especially children who come, you know, I, it's, it's the one night a year where everybody gets something, you know? Yeah. Yeah. No, it's just because they, and that's things I don't think a lot of people do actually look into the history of it, um, and that's why they got us. Yeah. So yeah, or they just they, they if they look into the history of it, it's like uh, to try and make them feel better about like leaving Christianity or whatever, or <laughs> you know, it's just like ah, have a personality other than that. <laughs> Solid. I understand that your feelings are hurt and and you were treated like shit or whatever, but. Mm-hmm. I don't know. I'm, I'm not unsympathetic to, to being frustrated with Christians doing nonsense. But mm-hmm. uh, no, that being said, if, well, and I do think if you're a Christian, it's a it as much as it has a, its roots in Samhain and things like that. Like it is a human thing to celebrate the end of the year and to celebrate the harvest and. Um, you know, uh, to, to say goodbye to the old year and hello to the new year is very human. I don't I don't think that anybody has um, the rights to it. It's not it's not a copyrighted thing or a trademark thing. And so, like, uh, I'm, I'm bringing this up to say if you're one of those Christians who has to celebrate Jesus ween. You what should rethink the, your life. <laughs> what the fuck is Jesus ween? It's Halloween, but for like evangelical Christians, and they just they call it Jesus Ween because they don't think about what they're saying. Um, because it sure <laughs> sounds like I don't know, maybe it's too far to go say this, but it sure sounds like a Catholic holiday. Yeah, well, if, if you know what I'm saying. No, I, dude, I 100. percent I've been on board with you the entire time because it, I mean, yeah. it's well because people look at Halloween like it's like this evil satanic fucking holiday and it's not it's children dressing up in costumes going around and getting candy you know it, it uh what what the hell is it um like hallmark holidays pretty much you know it's it, it just became a it, halloween which instead i mean there are some people who still enjoy the traditions of halloween is what we talked about but a lot of people in America, 90% of the country, whatever, hell, maybe even like, you know, 75% of the world, they just enjoy the idea of getting together with friends, having a Halloween party, dressing up in costumes, having a good time, enjoying candy and enjoying, you know, like bat-shaped biscuits or, you know, pumpkin-shaped cookies and, you know, they just, they just want to enjoy their lives, you know, right. they don't, they don't need somebody, 
you know, to be the one person who sits on their porch and on the, on, on the, in the neighborhood, handing out little Bibles, making sure that you're going home and praying for the mistakes you're making that you're not really making. No, that, that should happen. That, that hell, in Piazon, there was always that one, that one, uh, house that I went to once because they handed out little red Bibles and I'm, they're just like a, like a, maybe like, like a Gideon. I'm not sure what it was, just a little tiny, it fit in my palm kind of red Bible that had like maybe like 10 pages in it, if that. Interesting. And, and all this lady did, she gave us that and she said, now make sure you pray for your soul tonight. And I'm like, uh, there's no Twix, like, what the fuck? Right? But yeah, I just, yeah, so. Yeah, well, what yeah. you gotta do is you gotta, if you really want to go hardcore, do a Twix, uh, but take it out of the packaging and break one of them in half, and then just put a little Sour Patch Kid on there. What the? They call it a Crucitwix. God damn it, Joe. <laughs> God damn it, Joe. Uh, no. That's, dude, please, please hand those out on Halloween. Oh, I might. I just made that up right now. That's, a, that's fan, that's fucking beautiful. That that is fantastic, man! <laughs> Holy hell! I didn't know where you were going with it, but I'm glad you got there. Me too. That is fucking oh, fantastic. God. But yeah, don't 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 be don't be that don't be that house that hands out Bibles. Oh, I mean, hell, I'll I'll be happy, you know, being the person. You know, I'd I'd rather go to the dentist, uh, the dentist house and get a toothbrush. You know, then somebody, t- you know, hand me a little bit, bi- a little Bible and tell me to pray for the choices I make or some gooshes. Like, it's like, dude, right. I'm, I'm 10 years old. You know, I'm yeah, not going to. not going to catch people with that, probably. Yeah. Yeah. I'm not, I'm not grabbing a bag full of candy so I can head to the park and, you know, summon demons and shit. You know, it's yeah. just. Like, now that, that being said, I have heard many stories of people who are now pastors who, uh, would take like the Gideon Bibles, they're just like the New Testament plus Psalms. Yeah. And um apparently the the pages are very thin and make an excellent rolling paper for like a joint. <laughs> and so the number of people I know who who have rolled a joint and smoked the Bible but then they're just like, well, you know, they'll, they'll have the joint in one hand and then they're like, I have the book and they start reading it and then they come to faith that way. Um it is a shocking number of people who come to faith that way. So I don't know. Are you being serious? I am. I am. Like, I know like, multiple pastors who who that's their first time they ever read the Bible was when they were smoking smoking it. <laughs> ah, that's fantastic. Yeah. So hey, I don't know. Right. How however you got there, as long as you got there. That's how I feel. That's how I feel. And so like maybe right. hand it out, but hand it out with little dime bags. Right? Yeah, that's what I'm don't do that. Don't give kids drugs. Don't give kids drugs. <laughs> I always wanted to be the guy who, uh, and I, I think I've seen, I've not been on TikTok, but I know it's been happening a lot more often. But I want to be the guy that hands out like candy to kids and like, like a beer to the parents, like while right? they're out and about. I always loved that, uh, like in 2020 when people were trying to figure out how to do Halloween with social distancing and yeah. they made like the beer shoots. Yes. Oh my God. I thought that was really those. Yeah, I forgot. Did they have Halloween in 2020? I can't I'm even sure remember. Some people now. did. I don't know. 
We haven't, we haven't, our, our porch light doesn't work. And so it, we, we can't like turn the light on to let kids know to stop by. Um, and this year we've got our, our, um, our sidewalks are all torn up. So I don't think we're going to get any trick or treaters. Kind of bummed by it. Yeah, I know. Um, well, I'll talk about it and, uh, what I'm freaky thinking, but it's relatable to trick or treating and stuff like that. So, uh, I'll hold off on that. Um, I want to get into my favorite part of our freaky, uh, show segments, which is, uh, freaky tales. And, uh, it bums me out. It bums me out that, uh, that this is our second to last one of the year, but I'm also glad because I believe I know what the last, uh, the last one's going to be. Um, but, um, this is always my favorite part. I love that we do this every year, uh, because you crush it every single time. So I'm going to, uh, take my step back and I'm going to hand it over to you, Joe, and, uh, regale all of our listeners with another freaky tale. Perfect. <laughs> that was fun. I liked that. So I, uh, uh, I've been watching on Netflix, the fall of the house of Usher, Usher. Um, and I found out that there are some people I know who are not well-versed in Edgar Allan Poe. So I'm trying to branch out. And, uh, one of the episodes that I, I've never read this story, but it, it was called the black cat. And so I, uh, I thought that intriguing. I'm going to try it. I will warn you, uh, listeners, if you are uncomfortable with the sound, like the, uh, this, this isn't like, uh, you're not going to hear, hear gore or see gore or anything like that. But uh, if you're uncomfortable with things like the death of a pet, uh, maybe skip to the end of the episode. Um, but this is The Black Cat by Edgar Allan Poe. Um, and I will say, I think the cat wins in the end, but uh, you decide. For the most wild yet homely narrative, which I am about to pen, I neither expect nor solicit belief. Mad indeed would I be to expect it, in a case where my very senses reject their own evidence. Yet mad I am, am I not, and very surely do I not dream. But tomorrow I die, and today I would unburthen my soul. My immediate purpose is to place before the world, plainly, succinctly, and without comment, a series of mere household events. In their consequences, these events have terrified, have tortured, have destroyed me. Yet I will not attempt to expound them. To me, they have presented little but horror. To many, they will seem less terrible than Baroque's. Hereafter, perhaps, some intellect may be found which will reduce my phantasm to the commonplace, some intellect more calm, more logical, and far less excitable than my own, which will perceive, in the circumstances, I detail with awe, nothing more than an ordinary succession of very natural causes and effects." From my infancy, I was noted for docility and humanity of my disposition. My tenderness of heart was even so conspicuous as to make me the jest of my companions. I was especially fond of animals and was indulged by my parents with a great variety of pets. With these, I spent most of my time and never was so happy as when feeding and caressing them. This peculiar of character, character grew with my growth. And in my manhood, I derived from it one of my principal sources of pleasure. To those who have cherished an un affection for a faithful and sagacious dog, I need hardly be at the trouble of explaining the nature or the intensity of the gratification thus derivable. 
There is something in the unselfish and self-sacrificing love of a brute which goes directly to the heart of him who had has had frequent occasion to test the paltry friendship and gossamer fidelity of mere man. I married early and was happy to find in my wife a disposition not uncongenial with my own. Observing my partiality for domestic pets, she lost no opportunity of procuring those of the most agreeable kind. We had birds, goldfish, a fine dog, rabbits, a small monkey, and a cat. This latter was a remarkably large and beautiful animal, entirely black and sagacious to an astonishing degree. In speaking of his intelligence, my wife, who at heart was not a little tinctured with superstition, made frequent allusion to the ancient popular notion which regarded all black cats as witches in disguise. Not that she was ever serious upon this point, and I mention the matter at all for no better reason than that it happens just now to be remembered. Pluto, this was the cat's name, was my favorite pet and playmate. I alone fed him, and he attended me wherever I went about the house. It was even with difficulty that I could prevent him from following me through the streets. Our friendship lasted in this manner for several years, during which my general temperament and character, through the instrumentality of the fiend intemperance, had, I blush to confess it, experienced a radical alteration for the worse. I grew day by day more moody, more irritable, more regardless of the feelings of others. I suffered myself to use intemperate language to my at length. I even offered her to my wife at length. I even offered her personal violence. My pets, of course, were made to feel the charge of my disposition. I not only neglected, but ill used them. For Pluto, however, I still retained sufficient regard to restrain me from maltreating him, as I made no scruple of maltreating the rabbits, the monkey, or even the dog. When by accident, or through affection, they came my way. But my disease grew upon me, for what disease is like alcohol? And at length, even Pluto, who was now becoming old and consequently somewhat peevish, even Pluto began to experience the effects of my ill temper. One night, returning home much intoxicated from one of my haunts about town, I fancied that the cat avoided my presence. I seized him, when, in his fright at my violence, he inflicted a slight wound upon my hand with his teeth. The fury of a demon instantly possessed me. I knew myself no longer. My original soul seemed at once to take its flight from my body, and a more than fiendish malevolence, gin-nurtured, thrilled every fiber of my frame. I took from my waistcoat pocket a penknife, opened it, grasped the poor beast by the throat, and deliberately cut one of its eyes from the socket. I blush, I burn, I shudder, while I pen the damnable atrocity. When reason returned with the morning, when I had slept off the fumes of the night's debauch, I experienced a sentiment half of horror, half of remorse, for the crime of which I had been guilty. But it was, at best, a feeble and equivocal feeling, and the soul remained untouched. I again plunged into excess, and soon drowned in wine all memory of the deed." In the meantime, the cat slowly recovered. The socket of the lost eye presented, it is true, a fearful, frightful appearance, but he no longer appeared to suffer any pain. He went about the house as usual, but, as might be expected, fled in extreme terror at my approach. I had so much of my old heart left as to be at first grieved by this evident dislike on the part of a creature which had once so loved me. But this feeling soon gave place to irritation 
And then came, as if to my final and irrevocable overthrow, the spirit of perverseness. Of this spirit, philosophy takes no account. Yet I am not more sure that my soul lives than I am that perverseness is one of the primitive impulses of the human heart, one of the indivisible primary faculties or sentiments which give direction to the character of man. Who has not a hundred times found himself committing a vile or silly action for no other reason than because he knows he should not? Have we not a perpetual inclination in the teeth of our best judgment to violate that which is law merely because we understand it to be such? This spirit of perverseness, I say, came to my final overthrow. It was this unfathomable longing of the soul to vex itself, to offer violence to its own nature, to do wrong for the wrong's sake only that urged me to continue and finally to consummate the injury I had afflicted upon the unoffending brute. One morning, in cool blood, I slipped a noose about its neck and hung it to the limb of a tree, hung it with tears streaming from my eyes and with the bitterest remorse at my heart, hung it because I knew that it had loved me and because I felt it had given me no reason of offense, hung it because I knew that in so doing I was committing a sin, a deadly sin that would so jeopardize my immortal soul as to place it if such a thing were possible, even beyond the reach of the infinite mercy of the most merciful and most terrible God. On the night of the day on which this cruel deed was done, I was aroused from sleep by the cry of fire. The curtains of my bed were in flames. The whole house was blazing. It was with great difficulty that my wife, a servant, and myself made our escape from the conflagration. The destruction was complete. My entire worldly wealth was swallowed up, and I resigned myself thenceforward to despair. I am above the weakness of seeking to establish a sequence of cause and effect between the disaster and the atrocity, but I am detailing a chain of facts and wish not to leave even a possible link imperfect. On the day succeeding the fire, I visited the ruins. The walls, with one exception, had fallen in. This exception was found in a compartment wall, not very thick which stood about the middle of the house, and against which had rested the head of my bed. The plastering had here, in great measure, resisted the action of the fire, a fact which I attributed to its having been recently spread. About this wall a dense crowd were got collected, and many persons seemed to be examining a particular portion of it with every minute and eager attention. The words, strange, singular, and other similar expressions excited my curiosity. I approached and saw, as if graven in bas-relief upon the white surface, the figure of a gigantic cat. The impression was given with an accuracy truly marvelous. There was a rope about the animal's neck. When I first beheld this apparition, for I could scarcely regard it as less, my wonder and my terror were extreme. But at length reflection came to my aid. The cat, I remembered, had been hung in a garden adjacent to the house. Upon the alarm of fire, this garden had been immediately filled by the crowd, by some one of whom the animal must have been cut from the tree and thrown through an open window into my chamber. By some one of whom the animal must have been cut from the tree and thrown through an open window into my chamber. This had probably been done with the view of arousing me from sleep. The falling of other walls had compressed the victim of my cruelty into the substance of which the freshly uh, uh, substance of the freshly spread plaster, the lime of which had then, with the flames and the ammonia from the carcass, accomplished the portraiture as I saw it. 
although I thus readily encountered to my reason, if not altogether to my conscience, for the startling fact just detailed, it did not the less fall to make a deep impression upon my fancy. For months I could not rid myself of the phantasm of the cat, and during this period there came back into my spirit a half-sentiment that seemed, but was not, remorse. I went so far as to regret the loss of the animal, and to look about me, among the vile haunts which I now habitually frequented, for another pet of the same species, and of somewhat similar appearance, with which to supply its place. One night, as I sat half-stupefied in a den more, of more than infamy, my attention was suddenly drawn to some black object reposing upon the head of one of the immense hogsheads of gin or of rum, which constituted this chief furniture of the apartment. I had been looking steadily at the top of this hogshead for some minutes, and what now caused me surprise was the fact that I had not sooner perceived the object thereupon. I approached it and touched it with my hand. It was a black cat, a very large one, fully as large as Pluto, and closely resembling him in every respect but one. Pluto had not a white hair upon any portion of his body, but this cat had a large, although indefinite, splotch of white, covering nearly the whole region of the breast. Upon my touching him, he immediately arose, purred loudly, rubbed against my hand, and appeared delighted with my notice. This, then, was the very creature of which I was in search. I had once offered to purchase it of the landlord, but this person made no claim to know it, knew nothing of it, had never seen it before. I continued my caresses, and, when I prepared to go home, the animal evinced a disposition to accompany me. I permitted it to do so, occasionally stooping and patting it as I proceeded. When it reached the house, it domesticated itself at once, and became immediately a great favorite with my wife. For my own part, my own part, I soon found a dislike to it arising within me. This was just the reverse of what I had anticipated, but I know not how or why it was, its evident fondness for myself rather disgusted and annoyed. By slow degrees, these feelings of disgust and annoyance rose into the bitterness of hatred. I avoided the creature, a certain sense of shame and the remembrance of my former deed of cruelty preventing me from physically abusing it. I did not, for some weeks, strike or otherwise violently ill-use it. But gradually, very gradually, I came to look upon it with unutterable loathing, and to flee silently from its odious presence as from the breath of a pestilence. What added, no doubt, to my hatred of the beast was the discovery on the morning that I brought it home that, like Pluto, it had also been deprived of one of its eyes. This circumstance, however, only endeared it to my wife, who, as I have already said, possessed in a high degree that humanity of feeling which had once been my distinguishing trait, and the source of many of my simplest and purest pleasures. With my aversion to this cat, however, its partiality for myself seemed to increase. It followed my footsteps with a pertinacity which would be difficult to make the reader comprehend. Whenever I sat, it would crouch beneath my chair or spring upon my knees, covering me with its loathsome caresses. If I arose to walk, it would get between my feet and thus nearly throw me down, or fastening, or fastening its long and sharp claws in my dress, clamber in its manner to my breast. At some times, although I longed to destroy it with a blow, I was yet withheld from doing so, partly it at by a memory of my former crime, but chiefly, let me confess it at once, my absolute dread of the beast. The dread was not exactly a dread of physical evil, and yet I should be at a loss how otherwise to define it. 
I am almost ashamed to own, yes, even in this felon's cell, I am almost ashamed to own that the terror and horror with which this animal inspired me had been heightened by one of the merest chimeras it would be possible to conceive. My wife had called my attention, more than once, to the character of the mark of white hair, of which I had spoken, and which constituted the sole visible difference between the strange beast and the one I had destroyed. The reader will remember that this mark, although large, had been originally very indefinite, but by slow degrees, degrees nearly imperceptible, and which for a long time my reason struggled to reject as fanciful, it had at length assumed a rigorous distinctness of outline. It was now the representation of an object that I shudder to name, and for this, above all, I loathed and dreaded, and would have rid myself of the monster had I dared. It was now, I say, the image of a hideous, of a ghastly thing, of the gallows. O oh, mournful and terrible engine of horror and crime, of agony and of death! And now I was indeed wretched beyond the wretchedness of mere humanity. And a brute beast, whose fellow I had contemptuously destroyed, a brute beast to work out for me, for me, a man fashioned in the image of the high God, so much of insufferable woe, alas, neither by day nor by night knew I of the blessing of rest any more. During the former the creature left me no moment alone, and in the latter I started hourly, from dreams of unutterable fear to find the hot breath of the thing upon my face and its vast weight an incarnate nightmare that I had no power to shake off, incumbent eternally upon my heart. Beneath the pressure of torments such as these, the feeble remnant of the good within me succumbed. Evil thoughts became my sole intimates, the darkest and most evil of thoughts. The moodiness of my usual temper increased to hatred of all things and of all mankind while from the sudden, frequent, and ungovernable outbursts of a fury to which I now blindly abandoned myself, my uncomplaining wife, alas, was the most usual and most patient of sufferers. One day she accompanied me, upon some household errand, into the cellar of the old building which our poverty compelled us to inhabit. The cat followed me down the steep stairs, and, nearly throwing me headlong, exasperated me to madness." Uplifting an axe and forgetting in my wrath the childish dread which had hitherto stayed my hand, I aimed a blow at the animal which, of course, would have proved instantly fatal had it descended as I wished. But this blow was arrested by the hand of my wife. Goaded by the interference into a rage more than demoniacal, I withdrew my arm from her grasp and buried the axe in her brain. She fell dead upon the spot without a groan. This hideous murder accomplished, I set myself forthwith, and with entire deliberation, to the task of concealing the body. I knew that I could not remove it from the house, either by day or by night, without the risk of being observed by the neighbors. Many projects entered my mind. At one period I thought of cutting the corpse into minute fragments and destroying them by fire. At another I resolved to dig a grave for it in the floor of the cellar. Again I deliberated about casting it in the well in the yard, about packing it in a box as if merchandise, and with the usual arrangements, and so getting a porter to take it from the house. Finally I hit upon what I considered a far better expedient than either of these. I determined to wall it up in the cellar, as the monks of the Middle Ages are recorded to have walled up their victims. For a purpose such as this the cellar was well adapted. 
Its walls were loosely constructed and had lately been plastered throughout with a rough plaster, which the dampness of the atmosphere had prevented from hardening. Moreover, in one of the walls was a projection caused by a false chimney or fireplace that had been filled up and made to resemble the rest of the cellar. I made no doubt that I could readily displace uh, <clears throat> the body at this point, insert the corpse, and the wall, wall the hole up as before, so that no eye could detect anything suspicious. And in this calculation I was not deceived. By means of a crowbar I easily dislodged the bricks, and, having carefully deposited the body against the inner wall, I propped it in that position, while, with little trouble, I relayed the whole structure as it stood, originally stood. Having procured mortar, sand, and hair with every possible precaution, I prepared a plaster uh, that could not even possibly be distinguished from the old, and with this I very carefully went over the new brickwork. When I had finished, I felt satisfied that all was right. The wall did not present the slightest appearance of having been disturbed. The rubbish on the floor was picked up with the minutest care. I looked around triumphantly and said to myself, Here, at least then, my labor has not been in vain. My next step was to look for the beast which had been the cause of so much wretchedness, for I had at length firmly resolved to put it to death. Had I been able to meet with it at that moment, there could have been no doubt of its fate. But it appeared that the crafty animal had been alarmed at the violence of my previous anger, and forbore to present itself in my present mood. It is impossible to describe or to imagine the deep, the blissful sense of relief which the absence of the detested creature occasioned in my bosom. It did not make its appearance during the night, and thus for one night at least, since its introduction into the house, I soundly and tranquilly slept. I slept even with the burden of murder upon my soul. The second and the third day passed, and still my tormentor came not. Once again I breathed as a free man. The monster, in terror, had fled the premises forever. I should behold it no more. My happiness was supreme. The guilt of my dark deeds disturbed me but little. Some few inquiries had been made, but these had been readily answered. Even a search had been instituted, but of course nothing was to be discovered. I looked upon my future felicity as secured. Upon the fourth day of the assassination, a party of the police came, very unexpectedly into the house, and proceeded again to make rigorous investigation of the premises. Secure, however, in the inscrutability of my place of concealment, I felt no embarrassment whatever. The officers bade me to accompany them in their search. They left no nook or corner unexplored. At length, for the third or fourth time, they descended into the cellar. I quivered not in a muscle. My heart beat calmly as that of one who slumbers in innocence. I walked the cellar from end to end. I folded my arms upon my bosom and roamed easily to and fro. The police were thoroughly satisfied and prepared to depart. The glee at my heart was too strong to be restrained. I burned to say if but one word by way of triumph and to render doubly sure the assurance of my guiltlessness. Gentlemen, I said at last as the party ascended the steps, I delight to have allayed your suspicions. I wish you all health and a little more courtesy. By the by, gentlemen, this, this is a very well-constructed house. In the rabid desire to say something easily, I scarcely knew what I uttered at all. I may say an excellently well-constructed house. These walls, are you going, gentlemen? These walls are solidly put together. And here, through the mere frenzy of bravado, I rapped heavily with a cane which I held in my hand upon that very portion of the brickwork behind which stood the corpse of the wife of my bosom.
But may God shield and deliver me from the fangs of the archfiend. No sooner had the reverberation of my blows sunk into silence than I was answered by a voice from within the tomb, by a cry, at first muffled and broken like the sobbing of a child, and then quickly swelling into one long, loud, and continuous scream, utterly anomalous and inhuman, a howl, a wailing shriek, half of horror and half of triumph, such as might have arisen only out of hell, conjointly from the throats of the damned in their agony and of the demons that exult in the damnation. Of my own thoughts it is folly to speak. Swooning, I staggered to the opposite wall. For one instant the party upon the stairs remained motionless, through extremity of horror and of awe. In the next, a dozen stout arms were toiling at the wall. It fell bodily. The corpse, already greatly decayed and clotted with gore, stood erect before the eyes of the spectators. Upon its head, with red mouth extended and solitary eye of fire, sat the hideous beast whose craft had seduced me into murder, and whose informing voice had consigned me to the hangman. I walled, I had walled the monster up within the tomb. The end. Good job, Joe. Thank you. That was a weird one. I didn't know what to expect. You know, I I expect nothing less from Poe. Right? <laughs> Perfect. Oh, God, that's really funny. That's excellent, God. Oh, man. No, it was good, Joe. I, um, good story. Uh, I felt sorry for the cat the entire time. Poor cat. Yeah, same. Same, I felt really bad for it. Especially... Now that I've had cats and I can't imagine hurting them like that. Oh no. God, it's yeah. Um we have one more episode after this, guys. Uh, as a reminder, um our final episode next week we'll have uh Babes of Lore host Lindsay and Morgan on with us to talk about their one year anniversary in the podcasting. Um and that will wrap up uh this freaky show for this year. Uh, following next week's show, uh, we will get back into our normal banter and bullshit, uh, that, uh, we've, uh, started to enjoy more, uh, now that we're getting more involved into a lot of topics that we don't normally talk about on the show. So, um, yeah, so we got one more episode. Uh, again, guys, uh, I enjoy you tuning into, you know, these and being a part of this and it makes, it, it drives us to keep doing it for you. So make sure you keep doing that. Uh, Joe, what are you freaky thinking about? Um, well, now I'm freaky thinking about the fall of the House of Usher on Netflix. Uh, I think I have thought about it before during this this series, but um, man, it's just so good, and they do such a good job of of incorporating Poe um, and modernizing it quite a bit. And um, yeah, it's just great. It's really really enjoyable and. Uh, if you have time to watch it, I highly recommend it. You have you have just a few days left uh, in the month of October to uh, to watch some some scary things before you move into October, uh, November. If uh, if you like to watch spooky stuff during the month of Halloween, I I highly recommend it. It was a uh, uh, really well written, really well acted, and just honestly wonderful from start to finish. So uh, check it out on Netflix. 
You know, like they um they have like the it was an old TV show. I think it was just called like Sleepy Hollow, where like Ichabod Crane came back. Oh yeah, and stuff. God, can you imagine they did that with like Poe? Oh, it'd be fantastic. Oh, it'd be beautiful. Yeah, but what about you? What are you freaking thinking about? Um, I took vacation on Monday and Tuesday. Uh, next week. Uh, so Monday and uh, the, actually the day of Halloween. Because uh, because uh, Sherry um, Humpty Dumptyed herself down a flight of stairs. Oh no! Yeah. Oh yeah. Yeah. She messed up her ankle, broke in three places, uh, and all that stuff. Uh, she's not getting around uh, too well right now uh, as she's healing. So next week uh, I'm taking uh, the niece to uh, school and stuff. So she's excited for that. Nice. Um, and then I think I'm also going with. Well, Sherry and Mom are taking uh, Nixon uh, trunk or treating on Sunday um, because trunk or treatings uh, become a huge thing, uh, especially in like yep. small towns and I guess in the cities. I guess everywhere. Um, uh, it, it's weird that it's not on Halloween. That it's actually like they they do them like on weekends and stuff before Halloween even happens, which I get it, and it's a cool concept. I think we talked about before. Is it this way, like, parents who work during the week and stuff who aren't able to take their kids trick-or-treating can actually at least do it, like, on the weekends and stuff like that. Right. Uh, I'm a strong believer in making Halloween the last Saturday of October, moving it from being October 31st, but that would kind of, I guess, lose the uh, the idea of what Halloween is. Yeah, as, like a, as, a, as a holiday. Yeah. Sure. But yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, I think it makes perfect sense. Making it the last Saturday in October – as a national holiday or whatever. Right? That way, yeah, that way, you know, you don't have to worry about making, like, trick-or-treating, like, oh, 3.30 to 6.45 or 5.45 and right. all this goofy crap. You don't got to worry about kids going to school the next day. And But, um, but yeah, so uh, Sherry wants company uh, while Mom takes Nixon trick-or-treating. So me and Sherry are probably going to sit at a coffee shop and stuff while they do that. But, um, yeah, so I'm going to be taking Nixon to uh, – um, school and stuff, nice. and she's all excited for it. And she's got, you know, you gotta get her costumes together. And apparently, she has multiple costumes because why not have a wardrobe change? I don't know. Yeah, um, yeah, but that's uh, that, that's gonna be my Halloween. And uh, yeah, you know, it's who knows, I might make it home in time to actually pass out candy, which I haven't done since um, 2015. So who knows? Nice, yeah. Hey, Joe. Yeah. Throughout the month of October, Freak Joe takes over this freaky show along with me, and Cartoon Joe gets to take a little break. Uh, not a total break, just a break from us, because he currently is still podcasting somewhere else. So if people would like to find out where Cartoon Joe is, uh, where can they go? If you need more Cartoon Joe, you can find him over at the GeekCast Live podcast at violentpress.com. You can also find us on Facebook, iTunes, Spotify, and Twitter by searching GeekCast Live. Perfect. Guys, make sure you follow us on social media, Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter, just by searching This Freaking Show. And you can listen to our shows as they are released on iTunes, Google Podcasts, Spotify, Podbean, just by searching This Freaking Show. And that's all I got, listeners. So, as always, I am Travesty. And I'm The Freak Joe. And thank you for tuning in to another episode of This Freaky show. I'm out.
Nice.